Welcome this morning. If you are a guest, I need to apologize profoundly right now. Um, my name is Matt. I'm the music guy and the children's guy, and Frank is on vacation this week. And, and, and so I, I'm, I'm going to be bringing the message today, and our order of worship is going to be all, all, all out of order because of this. I'm terrified. Um, I'm afraid, and so I have some of my best friends up here to help me with this, and so, so that's what's going on. So thank you. And we need to continue being in prayer for so many things. And we may think that this has been a crazy week around the world and around here. And just as a, as a reminder, as, as we begin the service, God is not surprised by this. We've gathered to worship a God who transcends time, geography, space, civilizations. He is the Alpha and the Omega and, and God has chosen for each of us to be alive at this very time. God, God has a purpose through all of this. He has a purpose through each of us. And we need to remember that and not just wring our hands out with what's going on, but to remember to pray and, and, and to pray to be in the center of God's will for that, for that purpose. So we've gathered today to worship. And... Uh, as a warning, I'm, I'm definitely not a preacher. I'm a teacher. I've done that a long time. And I have this handheld mic because teachers, I don't, they're not big on talking the whole time. So I'm going to need some help from some of you. And, and so there's, there's going to be a little bit of time here. So, so please, I'm, I'm going to warn you about this. Um, the main reason I'm afraid, though, is that, 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 as, as I'm speaking, that you'll hear from me. And, and we all do this. If someone's speaking, we can't help but to critique how they say, what they say, and whatever the, the level of the message. But the prayer for us each and every week should be that we hear from this. We hear from God's Word, that, that we pray that we listen to the Spirit of God through His Word, and please not the speaker. And so uh, I would thank you for that. My question that I'm going to ask, and this is a trick question that I'm going to really I'm going to ask someone to answer. What is worship? And, and here's the trick question. What do you hope to get out of worship this morning? That's a, that's a, that's a trap question. That's a trap question. So be really careful. What do you hope to get out of worship this morning? Tom. Thank you. Hope to glorify God. I love it. Anyone else? Brian. Awesome. Linda. What we're doing right now. Yes. Draw ourselves near to God. I love it. Jim. We keep him in mind and not ourselves. If you have your Bible with you, would you please open to Romans chapter 12. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's please pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your church. I, I, I thank you for faithful brothers and sisters who, who desire to worship you and, and who, who are here to seek you and to offer themselves as living sacrifices. Lord, I pray that we would hear from your word today. I pray that I would not get in the way. I pray that all of our own minds and distractions would not get in the way, Lord, but that we would seek you, in Jesus' name.
Amen. The key to a productive and satisfying Christian life, according to John MacArthur, is not in getting more, but in giving all. The key to spiritual victory and true happiness is not trying to get all we can from God, but in giving all that we are and have to him. Tragically, we are often told that victory in Christian life is to have more of God and to have more from God. We go to churches and conferences and seminars and podcasts and read books in search of personal benefits, practical, emotional, spiritual benefits. In today's text, Paul does not focus on what we are to receive from God, but what we are to give him. If the spirit of Christ is in us, if God has already saved us, what more could we be wanting from God? Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Peter 1.3, where we were for a few weeks, several weeks ago. His divine power has granted us what? His, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If you belong to the body of Christ, if you have been saved by the blood of Christ, should we want more? A great simple quote from F.F. Bruce. In the New Testament, religion is grace. Ethics is gratitude. Our youth groups made a great t-shirt this summer by our fashion designer in residence. Okay, that explain this in a different ways. Religion equals do. Christianity equals... Christianity equals done. Our sovereign God has handled the religious end of things. So then how do we worship him if we don't have religion to do? Read this psalm slowly with me. Psalm 118.1. Oh, give thanks... Who is good? The Lord. Whose steadfast love endures forever? How long does that steadfast love endure? What are we to do? Give thanks. Ethics equals gratitude. Can you wrap your mind around how great and mighty and holy our God is. Has anyone been able to wrap their head around that yet? Has anyone given up trying? Don't give up trying. That on a daily basis, in, in our quiet time, in our prayer, in our scripture study, trying to wrap our head around how mighty, how great our God is, is going to help our gratitude. Are we aware of our own sinfulness? Are we aware of the own problems that we have, especially with pride? Parents, listen to this. Or if you've been a parent, are you aware of your young child's sinfulness, their selfishness? Okay? Thinking about this, aren't you glad that they are so bold and loud and explicitly selfish about some things? Wouldn't it be difficult to work on their hearts and minds if they were as discreet about their sin as we are? Thank you, God, for making our kids loud and difficult so we can more clearly see their needs. As adults, 
please help us to seek out the help that we also need and repent of the sin that we are quiet about. Okay, we're going to do just a little bit of quick math as we're going to get back to the worship thing. Um, How many hours are there in one day? Say it out loud. Okay, how many days in one week? Okay, now I need someone really good in math. There should be someone in high school. How many hours are there in one week? No calculators. Oh, the choir, the math, 168 from the choir. Nice job back here. Okay. When we call this the Sunday worship service this morning, about how long, if, if Frank's preaching maybe a little bit longer, if I'm maybe a little bit shorter today, okay, but how many hours do we gather for our Sunday worship? Okay, so if, if, if we're thinking our duty is this one hour of Sunday worship, how many hours does that leave every week? Okay. I I want you to consider the illustration. This is not the Bible, please. This is from me. This is not the Bible, but consider the illustration of a huddle. Name your sport, but the team is going to gather to huddle together. We're doing this before the game to prepare, to plan, to encourage, to know what we're about to do. Um, We're going to need times during the game where the coach has to stop and correct and discipline and encourage, make substitutions. And then again, at the end of the game, we're going we're to have a huddle and we're, we're going to take care of business. Hopefully we're going to celebrate. Maybe we're going to lament. If we can think of this worship service as our big huddle, and we have those other 167 hours where we are actually in the battle. And if, 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 we, if we think about where we're headed out, where that's sports, the huddle is not the game. The huddle is not the competition. The actual competition, the actual battle is during all those other times. Is one hour of huddle per week enough? When we have all those 167 hours, families, we need to huddle as much as possible. We need to regroup. We need to do what needs to happen. Small groups, move group advertisement. You need to be a part of a small group. You need to be with a community who that you can huddle with during the week. You can make a phone call with during the week. But we need those huddles. When we leave church, this should be like breaking the huddle. A a lot of churches will have the sign on the door or in the parking lot, you are now entering the mission field. Okay, a great reminder that we're gathered here for corporate worship but the real worship is going to take place out there. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a beautiful moment was caught on TV during uh, the Olympics. This is the Fiji rugby team that you see up here who won the gold medal in rugby. My family and I got to watch a little bit of the match. We know very little about rugby, and we were so excited watching this team of men play with passion, uh, reckless abandon. There was a joy in the way they played. And after the game, the cameras caught their huddle, listen closely to what they're singing about. Thank you. Amen. That was inspired. They just won the the gold medal. That's an easy time to celebrate. But notice who they were singing to and and who they gave credit. And we later found out they do the same thing. They stop to say and pray and sing before each rugby match, whether it's in the Olympics, whether it's just a regular match back home. Can we use that as a little inspiration to practice some similar gratitude this morning? If, if, if our worship, if our ethics can be gratitude, God has given us the gift of Christ, the gift of his Holy Spirit. Can we practice how grateful we are for that this morning? The choir is going to stand and sing. I'm going to ask you all to stand and sing together this morning and celebrate what God has done for us through Christ.
Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. So I've given the opportunity to, to speak with you this morning. I knew I wanted to speak about worship. I knew God was leading me to speak about worship. And there's some things I wanted to say about worship. Um, fortunately for you and for me, what I want to say about it doesn't matter. It's what the book says about it. And so Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're going to unpack this a bit right now. And the beginning of this passage begins with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. The word for appeal here is an urging, a calling alongside the help. Please give me aid. Help me out. This is not Paul telling them this is what you need to do. This is what we need to do. We need to do this together. John R.W. Stott said it this way, Paul's appeal was addressed to the people of God, grounded on the mercies of God, and concerned with the will of God. Who is he appealing to? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. This is written to fellow believers. There's both Jews and non-Jews alike in Rome. For this time in history, this was a very diverse congregation. The Word of God is living and active. He's also appealing to us. Okay? If we are His, if we are in Christ, this is appeal to us. Okay? Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers love to point this out. And it is important when we see the word therefore. The word therefore is there for a reason. Okay? It's not just a conjunction that's thrown in there. It is there for a reason. And the reason is Paul is appealing to the Roman church to do something, and the reason they should do this is found in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Paul is pointing back to the first 11 chapters. The first 11 chapters contain profound teaching about what God has given believers in justification, grace, election, and final salvation. Paul now tells believers in chapter 12 and beyond how they should respond. So he's moving from creed to conduct, doctrine to duty, belief to behavior, exposition to exhortation. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Mercies. Three words show up often in those first 11 chapters of Romans. Goodness, grace, mercy. Goodness is the most general. That involves all of what God does, all of who God is. Goodness emanates from God. Everything he does is good. Grace is a favor, particularly an unmerited favor. There's also common grace, general grace that God shows to all of us which would be separate from God's saving grace. Mercy is a particular aspect of grace which is given to the pitiful. John Newton, the author most famous for writing the words to amazing grace, as he was growing very old and and losing his mental faculties, he wrote, I am an old man. My mind is almost gone. But I can remember two things. I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. Think of the end of that first verse of Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. Speaking of wretches, children, come on up. (laughs) Come on up, come on up, kids. Okay, so, and can I, I actually need, we've got choir here. Kids, can I have all of you stand right here on the steps? Okay, and I need you to face the congregation. When Pastor Frank is up here speaking, he brings candy and all these wonderful things that you get to have. And then when I'm here, I'm going to put you to work. Okay, and so, but again, as many, so many of you said, when we come to worship, this is our opportunity to give, not to get. And kids... We're going to teach them the first 11 chapters of Romans. Can you do it? Are you ready? Okay. There's a song that we love to sing 
from preschool on up that does a beautiful job of teaching the first 11 chapters of Romans. Do we have the slide for that that we have? It's only four lines long. Okay, it's only four lines long. Can the rest of you stand? Let's sing this together. Kids, I'm not done with you yet. So I need you to hang close. Could you guys just, we've got a couple rows right here in the front. Could you sit maybe in those first couple rows? And I'm going to bring you right back up. Or you could, yeah, actually just on the seat. This is fine right there if you have a seat. You can be seated, church. Okay. Our motivation for our worship, a heart of gratitude. I, I, I want to just talk about a, a, a few things here. We're. Secular motivations for living a, a, a moral life, and if you'll bear, bear with me a little bit here, they're probably something like because you won't, you, you will get in trouble if you don't live a moral life. Okay, it's a good way to stay out of trouble. To give secular thinking a, a little more credit, you might say they might say because it is good for you, you need to do this. And really, a good thing that's happening a lot more right now is lead a moral, moral life because it's good for others. That, that we're, we're hearing that a lot. That's a good thing. We should, lo we should love our neighbor. Uh, bear with me on this long quote by J.I. Packer. The secular world never understands Christian motivation. Faced with the question of what makes Christians tick, unbelievers maintain that Christianity is practiced only out of self-serving purposes. They see Christians as fearing the consequences of not being Christians religion as fire insurance, or feeling the need of help and support to achieve their goals, religion as a crutch, or wishing to sustain a social identity, religion as a badge of respectability. No doubt all these motivations can be found among the membership of churches. It would be futile to dispute that. But just as a horse brought into a house is not thereby made human, so a self-seeking motivation brought into the church is not thereby made Christian, nor will holiness ever be the right name for religious routines, thus motivated. From the plan of salvation, I learned that the true driving force in authentic Christian living is 
and ever must be, not the hope of gain, but the heart of gratitude. Moving on, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Kids, you can stay seated, but again, you're going to help me teach this, okay, because most of you already know this. Last year, we went through the New City Catechism. The very, very first question, what is our only hope in life and death? Who knows the short answer right now? Who can remember the short answer? What is our only hope in life and death? I know more, more than two know that. What is our only hope in life and death? That we... That we are not. What is our only hope in life and death? Julia. That we are not our own, but belong to God. Okay, that's from a long ago. Our only hope in life and death, that we are not our own, but belong to God. Do any of you remember the long... You all were waiting for the long answer, right? You, you knew the long answer is what you... Aiden, do you remember the long answer? Anybody remember the long answer? Hannah? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. Thank you. So, our only hope in life and death, we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, kids, I need you to help me now. If you have a sibling on the floor with you, I need you to stand next to your sibling. If your brother or sister's here, and I need you to stand away from anyone else who is not a sibling, okay? So Nathan, John, Paul, can you guys stand way over there on that side? Okay, I've got Jonah and Isaac. It's so great to have the tanneries back in town. We've got some Stotts. We've got some Kellys. Okay, some Dudneys. Um, Levi, you can go over, go over here with your sister since so she is close. Okay, and everybody stand up. Okay, how many of you think you look more like your dad than more like your mom? How many of you think you have a little resemblance? How many of you think that you look more like your mom than your dad? Okay, how many of you don't think you look like either of your parents? Okay, so all of you are still standing. If you can listen to this. Tim Keller talks about our basic motive for how we should live. God sent his son to save us by grace and adopt us into his family. So now, because of that grace, in our gratitude, we want to look like our father. We want the family resemblance. We want to look like our savior. Now, as you mature as a Christian, this is really important. We are not to live lives as if we belong to ourselves. We do not determine what is right or wrong. Let me say that again. We do not determine what is right or wrong. We rely wholly on God's word for that. We should stop putting ourselves first and always put what pleases God first. And we should trust fully in God through thick and thin. We trust God through the good times and the bad times. Kids, thank you so much for helping me teach. You can go back to your seats, but I'm not done with you. You won't have to come back up, but I'm, be, be ready in your seats because I'm going to need you to do one more thing for me today. If you are saved, if you have received Christ, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. What more could we possibly want or ask for? God has your soul. He already has the inner man, but he also wants the outer man in which the inner man dwells. Do we have something to offer God? Think about that question. Do we have something to offer God? In the text, Paul talks about our bodies. Notice he uses the plural bodies and not singular body. God does not intend us to live a life of Christian worship alone, as we especially find out a few verses later. The Christian life is meant to be lived together. Our body is where our old unredeemed humanness where our flesh lives our sinfulness is part of our bodies Romans 7:22 for I delight in the law of God in my inner being but I see in my members my body another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death 
John R.W. Stott said, authentic Christian discipleship will include the putting to death or mortification of our body's misdeeds and the positive presentation of its members to God. God created us male and female. God created us physical beings. This seems so obvious to so many of us, but we need to, we need to make sure that we communicate that in this culture right now, that more and more identity is being made from who you want to be or what you think you're going to be, rather than the physical reality of what our bodies are. We are not what we wish to be. We are not our dreams. We are not our desires. We are who we are. Like the church, like the body of Christ, our individual bodies are made up of many parts. Kids, I said I was going to need your help one more time. Kids, if you can just stand up, please. Okay. Can you, kids, can we all point at our mind? Adults, you can do this too if you want, okay? Now point at your brain. Is it the same thing? We're not going to go down that tangent, okay? But we pointed at our mind. We don't always think of our mind as being a part of our body, but what occupies your thoughts? What do you think about? What do you read? Do you think critically? We all think that we think critically, but do we really? Do you read difficult books? Do you read books that challenge your opinions? Do you think Christianly about things? Do you test your thoughts with Scripture? All right, boys and girls, point at your ears. Point at your eyes. What do we listen to? What do we watch? Do we see God's hand in all of creation? When we see a beautiful sunset, do we see God doing that? Anybody see that moon last night? What a gorgeous moon coming up. Did that make us think of the creator of all of that? Do we think Christianly about these things? Do we look for opportunities to serve others? Do we look for opportunities to share the gospel with others? Last spot. Uh, don't touch it, but you can point at it. Your tongue. Don't touch. Don't touch. Okay? And your hands and your feet. Okay? Kids, thank you so much. You can have a seat. But what do we actually do? What do we talk about? What occupies our words? What are our actual acts of service? I, I think this is so important. This is important for me to remember. God does not command us to worship him in some abstract, mystical way that we can't understand. God commands us to present our bodies, who we actually are, what we can actually do as living sacrifice. These are real, concrete acts of love in our homes, in our schools, our workplaces, our church, and in our community. That next word, living sacrifice. That, that word sacrifice, in your mind, does that bring a, a, a positive or a negative connotation when you hear that word? Is that something that you're thinking that's good or something bad? If I'm thinking someone's going to make a sacrifice for me in our consumer-first culture, that kind of sounds pretty good. If someone says you're going to have to make a sacrifice for this to happen, not, uh, not so much. Does, it doesn't sound as good. Um, on sports teams, we tend to use the word sacrifice in a, in a positive connotation, okay? We think of someone sacrificing their body for the team, okay? Um, this famous all-star game, Ray Foss getting bowled over by Pete Rose, sacrificing his body to make that play. We love having that guy on our team. We don't always like being that guy, making that, making that sacrifice. Uh, another question for the congregation. What, when you hear the word sacrifice, what Old Testament stories come to mind? animal sacrifice, that had to be a dead sacrifice. Um, I, I think a Cain and Abel, that, that, that very, very early one, that, that, that Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable, Abel's sacrifice was pleasing. The Old Testament sacrifices had to be a dead sacrifice. Something had to die, a sheep, a goat, a bull. It had to die to make an atonement for sin this was just a shadow of what was to come. In the New Covenant, I love how R.C. Sproul described it, this is not a sacrifice that we give in order to make an atonement, but a sacrifice that we give because an atonement was made 
for us. God does not ask us to bring our livestock and burn it on an altar. For that, God does not ask us to bring any stuff to put on an altar. God does not want our money, our time, a service project or two. He wants all of us. He wants a living sacrifice. Friends, God does not want your stuff. He wants you. Jesus didn't die for our stuff. He died for you. After David had sinned against God with Bathsheba and Uriah, he prayed in Psalm 51, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David could not make amends for the sin he had committed. God did not want David to sacrifice any stuff. God wanted David. Jesus taught the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Think about these characteristics in terms of sacrifice. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus taught us these. If we think of Jesus' earthly ministry, he also lived these. Let's take a moment and replace blessed are with Jesus was or just Jesus. Jesus was poor in spirit. Jesus mourned. Jesus was meek. Jesus hungered and thirsted. Jesus was righteousness. Jesus was merciful and pure in heart. Jesus was a peacemaker. And Jesus was persecuted as no one else has or ever will be. Jesus took the full weight, the full punishment, and he was the ultimate dead sacrifice. Remember how we all like to have that person who sacrifices on our team? We do. Because of his great love for us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Will you all please stand and sing with us?
Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm really sorry, but I'm not done yet. We have one more song and a little bit to say before that. Moving on in our scripture. Holy and acceptable to God. Will you read with me from the beginning? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I don't know about you, but I have a couple questions about this statement, and thankfully they are answered in Scripture. I definitely don't know of anything holy with, that's a part of me, especially that flesh. And, and I do not think of myself as holy, but how could my living sacrifice be holy? Only by the mercy of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and again, how can God have mercy on me, a sinner? Romans 9:14 through 16. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Are you grateful for that? Which is your spiritual worship? I opened with the question, what is worship? And we've landed now at presenting my body, myself as a living sacrifice, as my spiritual worship. Gratitude is a huge part of this. Then we get to spiritual worship. And, and I, I think especially a Baptist church, we're trying to figure that out. If, if I announced right at the beginning, we're going to do spiritual worship this Sunday, folks. That, that's going to bring a lot of different things to mind on, on what's going to happen in our service. Is there going to be incense walked around the room? Are there going to be people laying on the, the floor convulsing at some point? This, that spiritual worship. And I'm so grateful for Bible scholars to help me out with this. The Greek word here for spiritual is logikos. The King James Version doesn't say spiritual worship. It says reasonable service. Spiritual worship, reasonable service. And which translation is right? Well, would our reasonable service be worship? I, I, I think Scripture is very clear that it is saying that. So logikos, we get our English word logical. This is rational. This makes sense what our worship should be. It is what we should do. It's not some mystical, new agey, mysterious, magical thing. This is very logical. Living lives of humble gratitude and service. Living sacrifices. Does anybody else think of that charge to be a living sacrifice, and we think of those super Christians that are going to give up everything and go off to the mission field across the world. And that, that living sacrifice, praise God for those who are called to do that, but living sacrifice is not just for the super Christians that go do things like that. This is reasonable. It is a duty we should be grateful to do. James Boyce Put it this way, other people may give God their money or time or even take up a religious vocation, but only a Christian can give back to God that new life in Christ that he has first been given. Our problem is that we do not want to give God ourselves. We will give him things. We will give him money, sort of. We will give our time. We will do charitable work, but we will not give ourselves Yet without ourselves, if we think back to David's quote, those other gifts mean nothing to God. You will begin to understand the Christian life only when you understand that God does not want your money or your time without yourself. You are the one for whom Jesus died. You are the one he loves. So when the Bible speaks of reasonable service, as it does here, it means that you are the one God wants. It is sad if you try to substitute things for that, the greatest gift. 
do not be conformed to the world. Um, kids especially listen to this, but all of us need to hear this. And, and this, I think, in my generation was especially a problem. We would think of church teaching us all the things we're not supposed to do. And then it became a lot of the do nots. This whole passage, this is the only thing that Paul says do not. The rest of this is positive. This is his only negative appeal. Paul tells us what real worship is not here. Unfortunately, this is what comes so easily to us. Conformed refers to something happening to us which comes from outside of ourselves. Who or what is influencing us? It brings to mind God's command to Moses to not be like the people of the land that God was giving them, to not follow their practices. The Greek word for world here refers to this present age, which I think is important to remember that the present age right now, we are not to be conformed to this present age, which has become more and more secular. R.C. Sproul wrote, for secularism, all life, every human value, every human activity must be understood in light of this present time, right here, right now. What matters is now and only now. All access to the above and the beyond is blocked. We must make our decisions, live our lives, make our plans, all within the closed arena of this time, the here and now. Be really careful. Be really discerning on what you read. There's a, a book I know that was really pushed on teachers several years ago, The Present. The gift that you have is the present. It is right now. There's, there's some truth in that book. But we need to understand, we need to think in terms of eternity. We can't just think that only the only thing that is is right now. That is incorrect. Contrasting the secular worldview, Harry Blameyers wrote, to think secularly is to think within a frame of reference bounded by the limits of just our life on earth. It is to keep one's calculations rooted in this worldly criteria. To think Christianly is to accept all things with the mind as related directly or indirectly to man's eternal destiny as the redeemed and chosen child of God. Put practically here, what do you read? Do you only read easy stuff? Do you read anything that was written before your lifetime? Are we only reading current things from this present age? Do you read things which are difficult, that make you stop and think about what you're reading? Do you spend more time on important, deep thoughtful things than you do consuming trivial media trivial media which actually prevents you from thinking if you don't think you're being conformed to this present age you're lying to yourself think about your habits think about what you are putting into your mind into your head but we also need to be careful. Satan loves to encourage us to go too far the other way into legalism when we're worried about not being conformed to the present age. Jesus warned his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount to not be like the Pharisees. Christ calls us to a special kind of non-conformity, a refusal to conform to the sinful patterns of the world, to not follow patterns of disobedience. Nonconformity does not mean we should be odd or antagonistic. We must be wise and discerning. We shouldn't be, well, the world wears lipstick, so we're not going to wear lipstick. Or the world watches movies, so we're not going to watch movies. The world wears masks, so we're not going to wear masks. We need to be careful to discern what is sin and what is not. We need to test and discern our nonconformity with Scripture. Are we, are we listening to Scripture or, or, or are we just being odd? Okay, finally. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
the Greek word metamorpho is where we get the word transformed from. It's used only three other places in the Bible. Um, Pastor Frank landed there a couple weeks ago. It's used in the gospel accounts of Matthew and Mark at the Mount of Transfiguration to describe what happened to Jesus. It's also used in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So instead of conforming to the outer world, our redeemed inner nature is to be displayed outwardly. Rather than the outside influencing the inside, we are to allow that inside spirit of Christ to influence our flesh, to influence the outside and the world. Going back to John R. W. Stott, fundamental transformation of character and conduct away from the standards of the world and into the image of Christ himself. So this word transformed, how are we to do it? By the renewing of our mind. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The Holy Spirit uses scripture to renew our mind. A transformed and renewed mind is saturated and controlled with the Word of God. A mind that is constantly seeing reality in light of Scripture. Psalm 119.11 I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Colossians 3.2 Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I, this is a reminder from C.S. Lewis, but in terms of a transformed mind, how we deal with other people, how we deal with everyone else. This is a difficult uh, concept, but this comes from, he wrote this in The Weight of Glory. Please read this and really think about this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and corruption such as if you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Think about this. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations... These are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Does that make sense to you? Is it logical? Is it rational? Remember the logikos, our logical or rational act of worship. This should make sense. If God has saved us, not by anything we have done, but by his own mercy, the Christian religion equaling grace, then it would be reasonable for us to be very grateful for this. Christian ethics equaling gratitude. It would be really logical for us to love this God who saved us. It would be reasonable for us to not conform to the secular influence of this age, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We love the parable of the lost sheep from Luke 15. The shepherd left the 99 sheep to save the one lost sheep. We rejoice with that story. Have you ever noticed pastors that... The word pastor means shepherd. Have you ever noticed that they love to talk about how dumb sheep are? 
Okay, the, the, I'm sitting there, and they, they, all, they always bring that out, so I have to do that too. Okay, and, and Scripture refers to us as sheep a lot. Okay, um, we're going we're gonna to watch a 20-second video. It might even be shorter than this. Many of you have seen this, and I just talked about watching our media habits, and then I'm being um, hypocritical here, so I apologize. You're going to watch this video, and you're going you're gonna to chuckle. Um, but will you please contemplate yourself as the sheep that you're going to see? Think about the grace you have been provided. Think about the gratitude that would be reasonable to show. Think about not conforming. Think about transforming. How many of you as, as parents had to work over and over and over and over again with your kids to get them to say a simple thank you? We're, we're living that right now. Just someone, someone helps you out just to simply say thank you. How, how many of us can be convicted? How many times have we heard the gospel? Kids sang it to us again a few times. We sang it together. How many times have we heard about what God has done to us? Is God working on us to just simply say thank you, to be, to be grateful for that? We've heard the message of God's grace. Many of you at some point, and, 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 and I really want you, I, I think this is a lot, of, a lot of people. Many of you even said a prayer at some point saying you wanted to follow Jesus. And again, there's, there's nothing magical or mystical if we've said a prayer at some point and then haven't actually done it. How many of us are that stupid sheep? We keep running back to what we think the world has to offer. We follow our desires, our lusts, our emotions. If you hear phrases like, take up your cross and follow me, does it make you want to run away like that sheep did? Back into hopelessness? Or is it logical? Is it Reasonable? Does it resonate, especially in light of what Christ has done for you, that turning away from the evil in this present age, being transformed by the Spirit of the very God who made you, and surrendering to Him would be the rational thing to do? If it makes sense and you do wish to surrender, I pray that you would talk to me, talk to Pastor Bob, talk to Pastor Dave, talk to a Sunday school teacher. Do it today. Don't try to do this alone. We need friends. We need to learn how to huddle. We need friends to do this with. Let's pray and then close the service by singing. Please stand. Father, I Thank you that we can gather in your presence to hear from your word, to be reminded of what you did for us. And you simply want us to be grateful. And you, you simply, you loved us and you want us. You don't need us to do anything. You don't, you don't need any of our stuff. You just need us. And, and Lord, it is so hard for us to give of ourselves. We even need your help with that. We can't even give ourselves to you without you helping us. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us to submit, teach us to surrender, teach us to, to huddle with our other believers, to, to, to live in community, um, to, to encourage them. And, and Lord, I pray that you would teach us and help us truly worship you, that this is not something we do one hour out of 168, but it's something that we do all 168 hours of the week that out in the battle and in the huddles alike. Lord, I pray that you would be with our community, that you'd be with our world, and as we look at all the problems and all the issues, that we would understand 
that you are God, you are Lord, and it is you who we all need. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sing with us.